Each year, more than 12 million people will hear the same three devastating words. You have cancer. I'm Lee Silverstein, a survivor of pediatric kidney cancer and stage four colon cancer. My amazing wife, Linda, has taught me that we have cancer because every one of us is affected by it in some way. Survivors, family, friends, and medical and support team members. And we all have a story worth telling. Welcome to We Have Cancer. Welcome to episode 129 of We Have Cancer. Thank you so much for joining me. Before I get to this week's guest, Howard Brown, I want to share a little personal update on what's going on with me and my disease. I had a liver ablation procedure done on the 19th of June. So at the time that this episode comes out, a uh, little shy of a month and uh, the results uh, initially sound very positive. The uh, chemo that I was on for seven courses, which was Fulfiri and Avastin, uh, showed significant shrinkage in the uh, three or four metastases that were in my liver. So we went with the ablation uh, back on the 19th of June. And preliminary results were very good. And I'll be back at the Moffitt Cancer Center in Tampa, Florida on Friday, July 26th for another scan and to see where we are and where we go from here. So uh, appreciate all of the kind words and prayers and comments that have come through on social media. They mean so much to me and so much to my wife, Linda, and we truly appreciate all of those from every one of you. My guest this week is Howard Brown. Howard is a two-time cancer survivor. He was initially diagnosed with lymphoma at the age of 24, and it was his sister that saved his life through a bone marrow transplant. And then 27 years later, cancer again would be part of Howard's life when he was diagnosed initially with stage three and now stage four colorectal cancer. And what's interesting about Howard's story is the different types of treatments that he's gone through. And he spent some time uh, sharing with us the details of the different uh, treatment protocols that he's experienced. And I think you'll find this uh, quite interesting, especially if you've been touched by colorectal cancer. So join me now for my conversation with Howard Brown. Howard, it's great to connect with you. Welcome to the show. I, re I really appreciate our mutual friend, Stacey Hurt, connecting us. And I understand that uh, you and her were together not too long ago with a bunch of our mutual colon cancer crowd at AACR. Tell us what AACR is and what the experience was like. Sure, Lee. Thanks for having me on the podcast. I'm, I'm really thrilled to uh, be chatting with you tonight. Um, Stacy was not there, um, so uh, but I, uh, Susan Strong, who you just had on, the, was there. And 40 of us got selected for the Scientific Survivor Track. I had no idea what to expect. My first cancer conference with 23,000 of my closest friends representing all cancers from the scientific community. And the first thing they did is they put us in mini-med school. They took a semester's worth of work from this Harvard and Arizona State uh, professor, doctor, and they just firehosed us on what we were going to learn. Biomarkers, precision medicine, 
all this stuff with immunotherapy, I mean, it was really helpful to understand that going in because many of these folks in the lab haven't met a real live, you know, cancer survivor, you know, person in treatment and we're thrilled to do so. And um, an amazing group of people, amazing group of advocates, survivors, and they treated us first class and uh, it was a fantastic experience. What was your biggest takeaway from it? My biggest takeaway that there's, uh, they know a lot, but they don't know enough. $6 billion being poured in to slay this beast called cancer, and they're getting closer. And the positive thing is that I do think things are going to accelerate in the next 24 to 36 months. Combination therapies are really going to be part of this uh, liquid biopsy where they're either using any type of blood or urine or stool to be able to have better diagnose you, the biomarkers and your tumor burden uh, from Foundation One and Keras and Guardian Health. Th this is all giving us a much better view and, and much better puzzle pieces to dial in on to uh, how to get to either, you know, long-term, you know, care or, or, or courage. And, uh, and we don't speak of that much, but or no evidence of disease. So very positive on the, the, the progression and hopefully the speed up of the timeline. I uh, came away with that. It's a very positive. Gotcha. So you mentioned you met Susan Strong and for our listeners can go back and listen to my interview with her. We have cancershow.com forward slash one, two, one. And what you and she and I all have in common is we are young adult, or in my case, pediatric survivors before colon cancer became part of your life and mine and uh, breast cancer for Susan. How did you what was the impact coming out of your stage four non-Hodgkin's lymphoma diagnosis when you were 24 in terms of how you perceived cancer moving forward and if it would, you know, kind of revisit your life? So I was 24. I graduated college. I was into my career. I was actually moving up the ranks of NCR Corporation. I sort of, you know, felt like any young kid that the future was bright and I was uh, graduated uh, from Babson College and uh, started my career and uh, working out healthy, didn't expect it at all. And I will tell you that once diagnosed, and it took them a lot longer, we didn't have cell phones. They uh, <laughs> came to the fact that it was diagnosed at a local hospital outside of Boston, and they referred me to Dana-Farber Cancer Institute. Thank God they did. And I was a deer in the headlights. My parents were a deer in the headlights. Uh, not this just came out of left field for us, you know, it wasn't hereditary and getting a stage four E diagnosis of, of non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. We had no idea of the severity. I think we all moved right into denial and the learning curve was steep and, uh, but it came fast and we buckled down and, uh, you know, it started uh, after uh, failing three protocols. If it wasn't for my twin sister's uh, exact match, I wouldn't be here talking to you right now. Uh, bone marrow transplant from my twin sister's bone marrow, exact HLA match. That, lots of chemo and, and two uh, twice a day bodily full body radiation saved my life back then, but contributed to colon cancer 26 years later. Have you, have you been told that definitively that that is a likely cause of the colon cancer? Because I, I have not been told that. And as part of my Wilms tumor, my treatment was virtually all radiation to the abdominal area as well. But no one has come out and said that to me. What about you? Well, I want to tell you that it prefaces that it's, it's theory um, and, and it's just sort of like likelihood theory. They're saying that the amount of chemotherapy, the amount of radiation I had was probably more than I needed. But at that time, they were trying to save my life. In 1990, it was fairly experimental. Did the first clinical trial after bone marrow transplant of interleukin-2 
and signed my life away for that. And they had no idea that that, you know, takes the rust off of a bumper. Um, they had no <laughs> idea what the long-term effects were some of this was. And so the suspicion and the theory from my oncologist, my choline specialist, and my surgeon is that there was probably some enzymes that keep a polyp in check that was stripped out with the amount of radiation and the amount of chemotherapy I got. It's not definitive, but the logic is and the theory is what they're going by. And there are some okay. instances of early onset cancer for young adults uh, 20, 25 years later. Now, the, the big thing is, is that many of the people that I went through uh, lymphoma with, they're not alive. So they don't have the experience of 26, now 28 years later, they, they don't know and they didn't know then. And they're just learning now. So I wouldn't say definitive. I would say good theory on their part. Gotcha. Your twin sister basically saved your life. Did that did that change your relationship with her at all? Well, it didn't change. It was, she said that I would do for her, which I would. We were very close. She's five minutes older, and uh, she, she'll kill me <laughs> for that one. But um, she is. Uh, we turned, you know, fifty three in March. Uh, we're very close, anyways. And it's what you know. It's what you do for a family member. She could give of her, basically bone marrow to to save me. So it was not even a a question. And uh, we're, we're close anyways. But the one thing I did do is that I was living in Silicon Valley, very happy, had a four-year-old daughter. And my sister said, I'm moving to Michigan. My wife's from Michigan. And we packed up the, the ship and we grew up our families here in Michigan, a great place to raise a family. So I live about 30 minutes away from her. And so I, I wanted to grow up uh, with my daughter to grow up with her cousins and I wanted to be close to her. So I, I think it, it did have an impact. Sure. That's great. How did coming out of the non-Hodgkin's lymphoma treatment, how did that change you, Howard, in terms of, you know, how, you know, not just how you viewed the world, but did you wonder, you know, about a likely recurrence coming down the road as a result of that or no? So it's a, it's a really interesting question. I was 24. I played, you know, high school basketball point guard and I played college basketball. And so I've been an athlete. So when I was done, I went through a face-to-face -face group called Stepping Stones at Dana-Farber. It was for recovery patients that uh, were recovered. I actually got in there way too early, but I also stayed there six months. My plan was to get out and to move from that. So it was helpful for me and my mom, who was my main caregiver back then, to go through that and be with other folks. But other folks seemed like that was going to be I don't want to call it a crutch, but a really good place for them for a long time to help them through. I was in the speed dial version of it, speed dating version of it. Um, I, I moved to California to rebuild my life. And I, I was 136 pounds and bald. And I just wanted to get my life back. And so I moved out and started to rebuild my life in the warm weather of, of uh, Santa Monica, California and Marina Del Rey. And so I just wanted to claim it back and move away from it. Now, did I worry about it coming back? No, I said I was done. I was done. And I, I have a mental toughness to believe that. And uh, I, I never expected to, uh, you know, to have anything come back again. I just was about to build my life. And I did for 26 years. And I met my beautiful wife, Lisa, and we'll be married 25 years in July. And, and crazy miracle of uh, my daughter, uh, frozen sperm 11 years later, beautiful bouncing baby girl and now 17 and, and going to be graduating high school and off the University of Michigan this fall. So very, very blessed, but a miracle in many ways with a, a bone marrow transplant, living, a, a daughter, you know, frozen sperm, and, and now, now going through colon cancer. So how did you come to be diagnosed with the colon cancer? This is crazy. I actually, uh, at my 50-year-old birthday, I went and had my 
checkup for, you know, you're, you have a yearly checkup. And he says, it's time for your colonoscopy. I said, yep, okay, no problem. So I scheduled it and I actually was sick in April, and uh, but I scheduled it for June. I went to a gastroenterologist and he did my colon and I woke up, my wife's holding my hand and I look at him, I go, everything's great because I was in good shape, feeling good. And uh, he said, uh, no, no, I, I got the scope pretty high up to the cecum, which is connects the small and the large intestine. It's pretty high up for a colon colonoscopy. And he goes, I, I saw something and I marked it. And usually when I see something there, it's usually bad news. It turned out to be bad news. Stage three colon cancer, eight centimeter uh, tumor was sitting there and it had to be growing there for a long time because it was a slow growing guy. And um, except for, you know, maybe some indigestion and some, some stomach aches, didn't notice it. <laughs> wow. So where are you today? You know, where's your health at today? So it's been an incredible, tough journey. I've gone through 25 cycles, uh, one, one cycle of full Fox, 12, 12 cycles of Excel platinum, and that didn't work. The tumor popped out of the colon to the anastomosis, the stitches point. Uh, I went and had a second colon uh, reconstruction. So 13 inches the first time in June of 2016, another 10 inches in March of 2017. And I I asked for a break. And during that break, I qualified for a clinical trial, not specifically for colon cancer, but to really beef up your DNA and your your natural uh, killer cells, and downtown at Carmanos Cancer Institute. And uh, it was called HCHIRT. It's actually been somewhat effective, I think, for breast cancer. I did two cycles of that. They actually stun gun a shot into your shoulder. It's painful, but I did two of them. But the third one I never got to because I metastasized to my liver, my peritoneum, mm-hmm. and to my bladder. So I got immediately put on the second line, like Folfori, like you're currently on, or it's called Arinatecan and Avastin. And uh, after four cycles, I actually saw... Our, our favorite word, shrinkage. George Costanza <laughs> was right, right? He was he right. He was right. You know? So uh, got some shrinkage. And for that, I got four more cycles. Shaw, not as pronounced, but a little more shrinkage. And then I got four more cycles. <laughs> and I ended up qualifying with something called your peritoneal cancer index, which they divide up your uh, your, your your abdomen and your pelvis into uh, 13 areas. And I scored a six. That's a good score. You want to be a low score. Anything over mm-hmm. a 20, they're very suspect about doing the surgery. And this surgery, you know, the cytoreduction surgery with the uh, hyperthermal chemo is, is fairly new. I mean, there's it's, it's FDA approved, but mass, they call it the mother of all surgeries. It's It can be anywhere from a, a 10 to a 20, you know, two hour surgery might happen to be 11 and a half. And uh, you wake up in ICU and they, they call it the shake and bake. This guy, Sugar Baker invented it. He used to do an open surgery where he'd actually have gloves on and take hot chemotherapy and, and basically be, you know, sponging it onto your, uh, your stomach and, and to inside you. Now they seal you up for 90 minutes and they actually rotate you around like a shake and bake. And, and then they drain oh it my out. Goodness. Yeah. There's a video. If you, if you do high tech uh, video on YouTube, four minute animation, it's not gory, but it's uh, it was very intense. I lost about 35 pounds and you come up, you come out very weak. Your, your system has to wake up. The first six, eight weeks are really tough, and then you slowly get back into it. But I have to tell you, a year out now, it's taken a full year for me to actually feel back to you know somewhat normal. But I'm getting there with all the you know bells and whistles of a neuropathy and all that other stuff that came along with it. But uh, I'm, I am turning a corner now, a year later. Okay. Be sure to stick around to the end of this episode to learn how you can get your rear in gear. Still evidence of disease or no? That's a complicated question as well, like <laughs> all of us. So I actually had a scan, my 270-day scan in December, and it actually noticed something that we all thought was scar tissue that was growing. 
it actually turned out to be at my laparoscopic point um, in my right abdomen on top of the stomach muscle, a little 10 centimeter guy, little node, and they just went in, didn't even biopsy it. They just pulled it right out. It happened to be cancerous, but the wonderful part about it, it was actually sitting there, margins were clean and no lymph involvement. They're calling that a wild card. And the theory is that could have been one reason that the laparoscope left a seed cell and I hadn't been on chemotherapy, uh, maintenance chemotherapy since July. That's a whole nother story with hypertension, headaches and migraines. But after that, I just did my uh, 90 day scan since then. And they went to the tumor board with it, which always scares you. Right. And then recommended to do a colonoscopy. Colonoscopy inside was clear. The outside point at the anastomosis, which they call widening now, it's a very suspicious thing. There's an area of suspicion. I had 20 docs and radiologists in, in the tumor board room, I'm told, and they kind of came to consensus that it's scar tissue or inflammation due to the high surgery, but we won't know. So again, I'm living on pins and needles every 90 days till my CAT scan. How do you cope with that? This time around, <laughs> being a veteran soldier of, of cancer, I wasn't you know, a deer in the headlights. I, I got into researching colon cancer, getting into the colon cancer support groups, this one colontown.org, particularly being very helpful in my research and talking to real patients that had gone through the surgery, real stage four people that are dealing with, you know, real life issues. And um, it became helpful for my wife as a caregiver and as, as she replaced my mom now and, uh, and me as a patient. And, you know, I, I feel that uh, like you and I, we've gotten two bad decks uh, dealt to us as too far as cancer diagnosis, but I got a little daughter that I want to walk down the aisle. I've got a 53 years old. I got a lot of more life and a lot of more given and uh, living to do. And so, you know, there's times that you stress out, but I try to minimize that opportunity and, and look at all the great things and the goodness that I am got going and, and, and use mental toughness and exercise and, and get through it. Uh, be, what choice do we have? Right. Right. But you and me and so many of the rest of our community, we all get, you know, when we take that approach and we go to the gym and all that, we all get that comment, wow, you look great. You know, you don't look sick. How do you, how do you react when you hear that? Right, right. Our friend StacyHurt.net, go to her and then look at that beautiful uh, model-like woman there that, that has all these side effects that are uh, mm -hmm. functioning. I thank people. Um, I, it's a real compliment. Um, it's, uh, I think that uh, sometimes people don't know how to address people with, uh, with cancer, and especially knowing that we have terminal diagnosis at stage four. And if you Google it and you look at the percentages, they're not good for, for long-term living. We live short-term every 90 days, and uh, we've got to make the most of those. I, I appreciate that, that people think I'm looking good. I'm working hard at it. I'm gaining weight. My color's back. I'm trying to you know get, get myself back. I like to go back to work. And, but uh, no one wants to hear, you know, that you're having a bad day or you couldn't sleep that night or you have neuropathy to a point where it's stinging, it burns, uh, living in the bathroom, all those issues. But they, are, they exist for us and we have to live with them. But to, to the outside world, I try to provide much more inspiration. That's, that's how I deal with it. And everyone has their own way to shine brightly. What have you learned about yourself through this second round of, of the cancer experience? I'm one tough mother. I'm a tough guy. <laughs> I love um, it. I'm a tough guy. I sort of knew it, but when, when you're tested like we've been and pushed to the edge, um, I'm tough, tough, uh, mental toughness, physical toughness to, to just get through all this and still be able to wake up every day and smile and hug your wife and kiss your daughter. That that's, that's, that's proven a lot to me. Um, I will tell you that another really important thing that's helped is I really am getting the negativity out. They say you don't want to sweat the small stuff, but you do. 
but negative situations, negative people, I, I try to keep that out or to a minimum because, you know, we've, we've seen what the other side and how dark it, it is and how grim it is and, and, and feeling awful can make you. And so uh, I think that's helped. It's helped. And everyone has their own way of dealing with it. Some people paint and some people meditate. Some people do yoga. Me, it's a basketball court. I'm a, I'm a basketball junkie, sports junkie. And getting back on the basketball court and my boys treating me just like anyone else. And I played last night, five games of full court, five on five. And I played actually pretty good for the first time in a long time. And they don't treat me any different on that court. And it's exactly how I want it. That must have felt great. It did. That's so cool. Talk more about what exercise does for you. It's been a topic we've covered pretty extensively on, on we have cancer, and I, I know for me, you know, I do weights and I do uh, you know some cardio, and it's it to me it's more of a, I don't feel sick, you know, I'm strong, I'm um you know I'm bench pressing, I'm doing whatever, you know, sick is not in the vocabulary. What does it mean to you? I would agree. I, I would say that it puts you back. And again, when I'm, I, I actually play soccer goalie. My daughter's a fantastic soccer goalie. I'm a basketball player that plays soccer goalie. <laughs> and that, that I'm on the field and I'm not a cancer patient. I'm just one of the guys playing. I'm sweating. It helps the endorphins. I might wake up the next night, you know, the next, next morning sore, or I couldn't get to sleep because I'm all jacked up. Right. But to me, it's, it's a part of normalcy that uh, I cherish. And I think it's just, it's very, very positive. It, it's getting the body going and it, it's just something that I think helps. It helps. And I hope everyone will at least do some walking, get up as much as they can, do something swimming. It helps. I'm, I'm, I'm pretty sure that scientifically it helps our bodies to move around. No doubt about it. And, and I always preface that you know, do what you can do. Look, you know, we all remember the day we're just getting to the mailbox and back was the exercise we could do. So uh, I never want someone to, you know, to listen to conversations like this and go, oh my goodness, there's no way I can play basketball. There's no way I can lift weights. That's okay. You know, you could do this. Uh, I interviewed when I first started this podcast, uh, Jean DiCarlo Wagner. Our listeners can Google her and she does something called gentle yoga that you can do in bed or from a recliner. So I think we both agree, you know, do something, whatever that is that you can do, do something. You'll, you'll. Yeah, I, I would say that uh, I've started physical therapy uh, in December because uh, through the uh, my posture changed. I was hunching and it caused uh, terrible tendonitis in my shoulders. Hmm. And by going and doing, I probably since December, now twice a week, uh, did physical therapy. And that's really put me back on track to be able to shoot a basketball, to be able to actually know the stretches and the things I can do at home. But to, twice a week, I go in there and I... I really work hard when I'm there. And tomorrow's my last PT session. They give me cupcakes uh, to graduate. So it's helped <laughs> a lot. But I, I, I think so. The, the thing I actually need to do better, I still like my cheeseburgers and my pizza. I got to probably change my diet. And, and my wife wants chicken and fish and, and doesn't believe in the red meat. But my daughter and I sneak out for a good juicy steak every once in a while. And I probably not need to do that. <laughs> yeah. You know, I, I'm so glad you brought that up because this is something we have not talked about. We have so many people talk about healthy eating and all those kinds of things. And, you know, going vegetarian and no sugar. Total, you know, Stacy's one of them. Totally respect people who make that decision because it's right for them. Sounds like you and I are kind of in the same place. I'm kind of like, look, I don't think negative thoughts about you know my expiration date. I know eight years is already uh, beaten what's on the label, so I'm grateful for that. But you know what? If I feel like having a glass of bourbon or if I feel like having a steak or a cheeseburger, look, I'm not going to do it every day. Right. But I'm going to have the cheeseburger, <laughs> you know. <laughs> yeah, you know costs, life is short, you. you know. And, and, it is, and it if is. that's something that brings you joy 
and improves your I personally, I, I just could not imagine living my life eating broccoli and salads all day. I think I'd I don't know how I would cope. But you know, I'm not irresponsible, but you know, I think there's no nothing wrong in treating ourselves every now and then. You I know agree. what I mean? You know, have the ice cream. <laughs> exactly. I'm, I'm with you on that. So uh, I get you. Hey, Lee, I want to bring up uh, something that's very interesting Please. in this whole discovery. So I have a very good friend of mine. He's my right defense in soccer, and he owns a company called Authentic. And they do videos in the insurance business, and they take a CAT scan and an MRI, and they actually turn it into video. I happen to probably be one of the, I'm pretty sure, the only colon cancer patient that has all of his CAT scans and MRIs turned into uh, 3D video. And I want to tell you, it's really changed the, the way that my uh, oncology team has uh, looked at it because a black and white CAT scan, radiologists can read it and the doctors look at it and they get probably better at reading it, but our PCs don't have it. And it's our, our actually, it really is our medical record. And what you do with those is I got a drawer of them. I bet you do too. Most cancer patients have a drawer of CAT scans and MRIs or PET scans and and sometimes mammograms and all that stuff. But for this, I've actually had them turn to video. And it's it's done a couple things. One is that when I actually interviewed doctors, surgeons, oncology surgeons for my HIPEC, they were like, okay, Federal Express me your scans and your paperwork, your radiology reports and your paperwork. I go check your email. And they were like, how'd you do that? And I wish every patient could do that. And so something archaic as hospitals kicking out CDs that we keep in a drawer needs to change. So my, my newest kind of crusade is is that four different metastatic cancers that this actually helps in a number of ways. One, it actually helps for second and third opinions. It helps your actual standard of care with your own doctors because they're actually looking at it uh, as far as video and not just black and white ghosts. They've actually used it at my own tumor board and for teaching the med students and, and other folks as well. But one of the biggest things it actually helped me with, my dad. My dad is a visual learner like many. He actually fortunately or not, got to see my metastasis. He saw where my cancer was and he just had no clue what it actually looks like or where it was and all that. And it, it allowed him to you know, see it and understand it. And it broke through a lot in, in doing that. And, and again, just for family understanding alone, but you know, we've got old, old school stuff happening at hospitals and insurance doesn't cover this uh, right now. It's a thousand dollars to get it made to video. But I'm raising funds in, in, uh, for a couple different, for, for brain tumors, for breasts, for pediatrics, and for colon at this point. If there's others that want to contact me, they can. But we want to get people that, uh, that need this to get their scans turned to video. Uh, we're, we're, I'm working on that as my little side project right now. And I, I think it's something that uh, should happen and, and could and needs to happen. So can I share your email address in the show notes for this episode if people want to reach out to you for more information? I would, I would love it. I would love it. That'd be we, great. We will definitely do that. And for those of you who may be listening and don't have the ability to write something down, just go to wehavecancershow.com and you'll see it in the show notes in my interview with Howard. It was great chatting with you, Howard. I'm so glad we got to stay, get connected. I hope we'll stay connected. I appreciate you, you know, being so candid with your story. And I know that sharing it is going to help a lot of folks, you know, with the resources you talked about and really just your attitude and approach is pretty infectious. And, uh, I love that mental toughness and I, it's a, it's a I have my better days and yeah, my, my good days at that and, you know, and every now and then not so much, but you're truly an inspiration. I appreciate it. And I'm glad I had the opportunity well, to talk so to are you. you. Lee. So are you, Lee. And I, I, it's a pleasure and an honor to be on the show. And, uh, uh, once it gets cut, I'm going to share it uh, wide and far on uh, LinkedIn and Facebook and let everyone know about it. It's really important work you're doing, and thank you. My pleasure. Be well, my friend. Good night. Thank you.
The Colon Cancer Coalition is sponsoring a number of exciting events taking place across the country over the next month or so. And I'm going to start with all of the Get Your Rear in Gear 5K Run Walk One Mile Fun Run events. I'll share with you the date and location, and you can visit the Colon Cancer Coalition website at coloncancercoalition.org for all the details. So let's get right to it. Coming up this Sunday, July 21st in San Francisco, on Saturday, July 27th in Little Rock, Arkansas, Sunday, July 28th in Tinley Park, Illinois, Saturday, August 3rd in Green Bay, Wisconsin, and also taking place on Saturday, August 3rd in Portland, Oregon, Sunday, August 11th in Colchester, Vermont, and Saturday, August 24th in Des Moines, Iowa. So these are all of the Get Your Rear in Gear 5K Run walk and one mile fun run events there are a couple other exciting events i want to share with you on friday july 26th in duluth minnesota is an amateur baseball league game featuring the duluth huskies and this is going to be a colon cancer awareness event so if you're looking for something fun to do on friday night july 26th and you're around the duluth minnesota area check out this duluth huskies amateur baseball game Coming up on Wednesday, August 14th, for our friends around Victoria, Minnesota, is a Memorial Golf Outing. It's the Caboose Cup Sean McQuillan Memorial Golf Outing, and this is taking place at Deer Run Golf Club. This is a golf scramble event with lots of great door prizes and a lot of fun food, refreshments, and proceeds from the event will benefit the Colon Cancer Coalition. For information on these and all upcoming Colon Cancer Coalition events, visit their website at coloncancercoalition.org. Thank you for listening to We Have Cancer, and thank you to our sponsor, the Colon Cancer Coalition, for your support. You can subscribe to We Have Cancer by visiting Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher Radio, or Spotify. And you can find us on social media by visiting our Facebook page at We Have Cancer Show and at We Have Cancer Pod on both Instagram and Twitter. We Have Cancer is a proud supporter of Genie's Blue Angels, providing financial support to those affected by colorectal cancer.